Hi guys, I'm so glad you joined me again today and I'm just really grateful that you've decided to spend this time um, sitting with me, listening to me with whatever you're doing. I have to say, I'm really sorry about last week. Uh, right before I published last week's episode, I was like, man, I sound really tired, but I didn't have time to re-record it, so just hit publish. But it kind of makes sense that I was so tired because I was spending the week with my six grandchildren who were all under the age of five, and I was having so much fun, but you could tell how tiring it was from my voice in that episode. It was kind of funny. But now I'm back home, um, full of energy, and guess what? This is actually my 30th episode, so it's kind of cool. I've been doing this for a while now, this podcast, and I've been having a lot of fun. I hope you are enjoying it. It's kind of a, a different, neat thing for me to be doing, different for me anyway. And I don't say this all the time, but if you feel like sharing this podcast or perhaps a specific episode of the podcast um, on your social media or just with a friend, send, send them a link or whatever, I would really appreciate it or even just tell people about it. I just want God to use it for his glory to encourage his people in any way he chooses. And um, if that includes you, sharing it with your friends or wherever, that would be great. Um, you can also always reach me on Instagram or Facebook, especially if you'd like to see pics from that vacation and all of my adorable grandchildren and my also equally adorable, three of my equally adorable children. Uh, you can check me out there. Or if you want to give me any feedback, I really, it is one of my goals to stay teachable through this whole process of podcasting and in life. So I would appreciate any feedback you have, and I'm totally open to that. Um, so thanks. I, I try not to say that every week. It's one of my pet peeves when podcasts and YouTube videos are constantly asking you to subscribe or share their stuff or whatever. So I don't share that all the time, but there it is. So anyway, moving on. I'm kind of realizing that fall is around the corner. Is, it, is this occurring to anyone else? It's the end of August right now, and for me, September is still the beginning of the year. I don't have any kids in school. It's been a while since I've had kids in school, but my teacher heart can't get away from that. So I think of September as the time that new things begin. Do you feel like that? Is that your life? I'm still just sort of figuring out what this year is going to be like for me, honestly. Um, I'm going to have a slightly different schedule, so I'm still kind of finding my feet under that. How about you? What's your school year going to look like, whether you're in school or not? How is this year going to be different from last year? I don't know. I just like to take these this time in these few days before everything gets going to really reflect on where I've been and where I'm going. So this might be a good time for you to do that. But that's not even what the episode is about today. That's just like a little extra. So what I did want to start with today is a story. First, I have to explain something to all of the people probably under the age of, I don't even know, 35. Um, there used to be this thing called family movies, family home movies, because uh, we couldn't take videos on our phone or anything else. It was, it was a little more complicated. It was sort of saved for special occasions. And then you'd have nights where you pulled out the home movies and put them on a projector and everybody would watch them. So this was a thing back in the day. And in my family, we had a home movie that was like the classic. And I think probably everybody has had a moment in their family like this one that I'm about to describe. 
So my brother Peter in this movie was two or three years old, and it was a Christmas movie. So we come down, you know, in the movie, black and white movie, silent, um, and yeah, I'm that old. <laughs> and we're, you know, toddling down, we're getting our stockings down, and Peter, it, the, the camera is zooming between my older brother, Jordy, then Peter, and then me, I was a baby, and back again, you know, to each of the kids. And at one point, it goes to Peter, and he pulls a... Com big Hershey chocolate bar out of his stocking and is like, oh, and is looking at it. Then it goes to somebody else and it comes back to Peter and he's still looking at the chocolate bar and look, he starts looking around, like looking to the left, looking to the right. And then it goes, the camera goes to me and then it eventually comes back to Peter and there's just chocolate all over his face. The, the chocolate bar is gone and there's just evidence of this chocolate bar smeared all over his face. And Peter, as a little kid, was able to have that classic look that so many little kids have that they're just sort of thinking like, what? What's happening? And so he has this like blank expression on his face, like everything's fine. I didn't do anything but chocolate smeared all over his face. So it's like a, a famous story, or it was in my family growing up, about how funny that was. And as a result... Every single year, my kids have gotten a Hershey bar in their Christmas stocking in memory of that event. So why did I tell you that story? Well, it was really cute, you know, him thinking no one had seen him do this, that he had been sneaky, and yet he's got chocolate smeared all over his face. And I thought of that story when I stopped to ponder the verse that we're going to talk about today. This is the Pause and Ponder Podcast with Susie Weber. Thanks for listening. Okay, so the verse that um, made me pause is Philippians 3.18. Oh, no, sorry. Actually, Philippians 3.19. But I'm going to start in 17. So I'm going to read 17 through 19. I'm mostly focused on 19. And of course, it's Paul talking to the Philippians. Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many, of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. So now he's going to describe those who are enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. I mean, we could focus on each phrase in that verse 19 um, and ponder what each of those phrases meant. But the one that stopped me was, their God is their belly. I think it's so easy to think, oh yeah, those terrible enemies of Christ. We got to watch out for them and think of everyone else when actually we're sitting there with chocolate on our face, like my brother Peter, saying, oh, look at all those people who just gobbled down a chocolate bar. They're so greedy. It's so easy to see these things in other people when I think God put these in Scripture for us to be, like it says, to watch out for them, but to also examine ourselves and to really look at what does it mean that their God is their belly. What does that mean? How does it apply to me? And how does it apply to today? Now, last episode, I talked about being thirsty. So this time, what about being hungry? What about 
those cravings for certain foods. Do you ever get cravings for certain foods like chocolate or let's see, what else do people crave? I know we crave foods when we're pregnant, but you can even crave foods when you're not pregnant. Like haven't you ever just really wanted ice cream enough to get in the car and go get some? That's a craving um, or pizza or whatever it might be. That craving for food, their God is their belly, sounds to me like giving in to what you crave. Now, when I say I'm talking about being hungry, I'm not thinking about hungering for the word of God and Jesus is the bread of life and all that. That is true. We are to hunger in that way. But this verse is talking more about temptation and craving. And here's the thing. We all pretty much know what is healthy to eat. But we either want to eat more than we need or we want food that has no nutritional value at all. I'm not judging anybody on your actual diet or whatever. I'm just saying I know I often want to eat stuff just because I have the desire. What foods do you crave? What can you just not resist? That's when we have to have self-control. We have to have self-control to not gorge ourselves on yummy food, to stop. And it's not this analogy to food is not only a good reminder, it's actually good practice. I really believe, my experience has been, that when we practice self-control in one area, it helps us to have self-control in other areas. So what I'm really saying here, as I read this verse, their God is their belly, and it's describing enemies of the cross of Christ. That's what it says. Enemies of the cross of Christ are described as people who allow their God to be their belly, meaning they let their desires control them. Whatever they desire, whatever they crave, that's what they obey. That's what controls them. But if we pause and think about that, I think we can have some understanding for other people because we know what it's like. It's a great analogy because we know what it's like to crave food, right? We can understand oh yeah, I crave this, and I, I remember this one time I craved that, or I can never resist chocolate cake, or whatever it might be, right? We can understand that, that draw, that irresistible desire for some kind of food. And now we can apply that to temptation, that even if we haven't experienced a certain temptation, we can understand what a craving is, so we can have compassion for someone who does have a temptation that's different from our own. And I think that's really important because we all have cravings. We all have temptations. So let this analogy for temptation and the strong pull of temptation give each of us a growing compassion for the struggles of others. Let's abandon having a critical spirit about, you know, how bad other people are or whatever, and realize while we don't struggle with that temptation, we do know what it is to crave, to have that strong desire. And at the same time, we can look at our own hearts and realize the importance of having self-control over those desires, to not let our belly or our desires be our God. It's so important. It's really everything. And you know what made me think of this verse? 
was I heard a teaching about Samson. And as I was listening to this teaching about Samson, I thought about this verse. I think he let his belly be his God. Little by little, one rationalization at a time, he let his desires control him. First, it was a wife outside the realm of what God had told the Jews that they should marry within their tribes. Then it was eating from a carcass, which was breaking the law of God. Then it was a party that most likely had alcohol, based on the text. Then murder. Then sexual immorality. Then completely rejecting his calling so that he could be like everybody else. Each time he had a desire, and he chose what he desired over what God commanded, over what God had commanded specifically in his life. You know, I think he had reasons for each of those choices. I think he thought this is no big deal. I think he could think of nothing else but what he wanted. The desire was so strong. And I think with each bite of his own desires, his heart grew a little harder to the heart of God. Cravings can be really strong. You know, with food, today we call it having willpower. When you don't eat sugar at an event, they're like, oh man, you have such strong willpower. And we do have a certain amount of willpower for sure. With willpower, we can stay on a diet for three weeks or whatever. At least that's how long I last usually, three weeks. But willpower only goes so far, even for the strongest person. Willpower is not enough to keep our belly from being our God. Did you hear that? Willpower is not enough to keep our belly from being our God. Trying harder might help you get physically healthy, but it only makes things worse spiritually. In fact, one interpretation of this passage, this they make their belly their God, is that it is these enemies of the cross of Christ are describing what were called Judaizers, people who wanted to keep the dietary restrictions um, of the Old Testament, people who thought believers in Jesus needed to keep the dietary restrictions from the Old Testament in order to be saved. They basically wanted everyone to try harder. They were filled up with pride with how hard they worked to be spiritual. And the Bible tells us it just made them more carnal or more worldly. By choosing rules over faith, they were still making their belly their God. Which is so ironic. They were doing more spiritual things and it was making them more worldly. And it can still happen today. If we're doing um, th what would be called religious things, right? Even reading the Bible can become a worldly practice if it's just building up our pride. So here they were keeping these dietary restrictions. So it literally was food, but the idea was they thought that eating certain foods um, gained them favor with God. And all they were feeding themselves was gobs of pride. Sweet going down, but it just makes you fat. So the point is, whether it's a temptation like hate, slander, laziness, or even spiritual pride, willpower is not the answer. How do we resist the cravings? How do we resist temptation? We know we're supposed to resist temptation and not sin, right? Well, let's, let's look at the practicality of resisting temptation, or as I'm calling it, cravings. Well, 
We have a hint in the knowledge that self-control is listed as a fruit of the Spirit. I bet you've been thinking that while I've been talking. Hey, you haven't said it. It's a fruit of the Spirit. And truly, it is only by the power of the Holy Spirit that we can have the kind of self-control that can resist temptation. Instead of more determination, it's more dependence on Jesus. So I have a list of how, and it's four A's. And this is four A's to resist temptation or to resist cravings. When you just want something so badly or the desires of your, your selfish desires uh, are really loud. So here are my four A's. One, acknowledge God's way. Acknowledge God's way. God has a different way than what my desire is. Two, admit. Admit I'm weak. I do not have the strength to resist this temptation, this craving. Three, ask. Ask Jesus to help. Cry out to him. And four, allow him to work. Just get out of the way. What do you want me to say here, Jesus? What do you want me to do here? And then that's kind of like the obey one. So acknowledge God's way. Admit I'm weak. Ask Jesus to help me and allow him to work. Now, you might be thinking, repent. I'm specifically talking, talking about temptation. Sure, repentance could be part of that because you might, if you acknowledge God's way and you're not following it, you need to repent. If you admit you're weak and you've actually fallen into sin, you need to repent of the sin. Um, if you're asking Jesus to help, you can also be repenting. So it, it can be anywhere in there. I think these four steps give us the strength to resist those cravings. Just like they say, um, you know, when you crave sugar, drink more water and all these strategies. I think this is a strategy for resisting temptation. Acknowledge, admit, ask, allow. And you know, that really is the greatness of God. Just pause and think about that for a second. We can overcome bad habits, strong cravings, all kinds of sin because God has set up the universe so that his power can work in us. Sometimes we miss how amazing that truly is. Instead of a pep talk about how you can do it or what you need to buy or the group you need to join or the pill you need to take for the next 30 days. No, instead of all that, God himself can get you out of that rut can break you free from all that negativity, can even pull you out from under the crap that other people have sinned against you. It reminds me of what I just read in that book, Gently and Lowly, by Dale Ortland. Have you heard of that? It's pretty popular right now. He said this, There are two steps for the Christian life. Step one, go to Jesus. Step two, see step one. I love that. It's what Paul calls in Colossians a mystery an amazing truth, once hidden and now revealed. And what is that mystery? Christ in you. Christ in you. And in chapter 2, he says it this way, of Colossians. That's in Colossians. In chapter 2 of Colossians, he says, You who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. And perhaps you thought of this. Jesus says in John, the truth shall set you free. The truth about the power of God in you. When you ask forgiveness and ask God to help, 
this truth can truly set you free from your own inclinations. So no more, this is just me. This is just me. I get angry easily. Or this is just me. I'm, I yell. Or I worry. Or I'm kind of controlling. Whatever it is. It's a lie that you have to be that way. Did you hear that? It's a lie that you're just that way. Without Jesus, you're just that way. But with Jesus, you can leave that behind and actually change. And here's an amazing thought. The person that Jesus created you to be is not just that way. The person Jesus created you to be is free from all of that mess. That's amazing. How have you seen any changes in your life since you've accepted Christ? Or how about just in the last year? It's a good question to ask yourself periodically. So, my four steps were acknowledge God's way, admit I'm weak, ask Jesus to help, and then allow him to work. Obey whatever directions you get. What does that look like? Well, I thought of an example. What if you're frustrated with whiny children or maybe even whiny adults? So you're frustrated with somebody. That's the, the temptation is whatever you are going to do because you're frustrated. So acknowledge God's way. Parents, don't provoke your children or love one another. Put others' interests before your own. That's God's way. Acknowledge. God wants you to love this person. Admit I'm weak. Lord, I'm frustrated. I'm feeling impatient. I have a critical spirit towards this person. I'm not feeling any love. Just admit it. Then ask Jesus, help me, Lord. Fill me with your love for them because I have none of my own. And then allow. Be obedient to how God directs. Now that might be something specific, like give that child a hug. Sit down and listen to what the person is actually saying or whatever it might be. You've got to listen to God's direction and allow him to work through you. And so this is the process, no matter what the temptation might be. It could be anything. I won't even go over it. Um, it could be anything. But these four steps can keep us from giving into that temptation and getting back on the right path. Um, you know, there's that verse that says, my foot nearly slipped. You know, it didn't slip, but it nearly slipped. Uh, but what kept him from slipping was the Lord and God's word kept him from sl slipping. So acknowledge, acknowledge God's way. Sometimes it's just that niggling feeling from the Holy Spirit. You know what? This is wrong. I shouldn't be doing this. And sometimes it's more clear. Obviously, the more we know our Bible, the more we're going to acknowledge God's way when we know what he has said in his word. And admit I'm weak. This means give up. Yes, give up. Give up trying to be good. Just admit the struggle. Sometimes this is admitting it to other people too, like giving up trying to look good in front of other people. But go to Jesus and say, this is hard for me. I'm struggling. I want to obey, but I'm having such a hard time and I need you. I can't make it without you. And then ask Jesus to help. Just by asking him to help, you are in fact turning away from what you crave, what you desire. Asking is the first step in denying that temptation. So ask Jesus, you know you can ask Jesus to remove a desire from your heart. If you're desiring something that you know is not godly, ask him to just remove the desire that you wouldn't even want it anymore. 
Ask Jesus for strength. Ask him for new desires. Just ask him for help. And then allow Jesus to work. This requires listening. This requires obeying. Sometimes it might mean you have to ask someone else to help you. Another, you know, person. Sometimes, I think often, it's physically removing something from your life. You know, there's another passage that says if your eye's causing you to sin, gouge it out. That's pretty extreme. And sometimes we need to take extreme measures so that temptations aren't around us. Or perhaps God will direct you to do something completely unrelated or seems like it's unrelated, like go for a walk or phone a friend or journal or exercise or even take a nap. That's one that helps me with temptation. Just go take a nap. <laughs> but who knows? You just need to listen to the Holy Spirit. So what are your cravings? What it, when and where are you tempted to give in to your own desires? We all have them. Remember the chocolate on the face? Even if it's pride in our own spirituality and lack of temptation, we all have them. And we all need experience in depending on the Holy Spirit to overcome our own selfish desires. But we can, we can be overcomers through Christ in us. And that is the hope in all this. This is a hope, this is our hope that when temptations come, when cravings are strong, that God is more powerful than any craving and any desire. And God can take out our old hearts that are full of selfishness and evil desires and give us new hearts that desire the things that he desires. And then we are no longer enemies of Christ, but friends of Christ. And that's my hope for you today and every day. Till next time. Mm -hmm.